Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Well, they shall mount up with wings like, not giants, right? Eagles. Didn't go very well for the giants. How about Goliath, right? I think God gave me a bit of a bonus intro as I was standing there and the music was playing. I was thinking about how God goes after the lost, the least, the little, the dead, those that are far off, the least likely. And God sort of took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this isn't, I, I didn't give Ian the prep for this or the passages to put up, it just came to me as I'm standing there, but it's 1 Corinthians 1, 25, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Oh, I love that. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. So that, get this, no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life. He is your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in him. That we're essentially going, look over there. I can't even hold his sandals. I must decrease, he must increase. He is my life, everything else is rubbish. Like I am crucified with Christ, I don't even live anymore. It's he that lives in me. He is it. He is my obsession. And I think it's a returning back to that and actually getting lost. Because that's what God does, is he finds lost people. Or dying, I am crucified with Christ, right? I die every day. Because God's cup of tea is raising the dead. Right? It's finding the lost. It's using the least and the little and the most unlikely characters. This is what he does. It's his pattern. It's, it's, it's part of why I felt really inspired if we're going to talk about mission and the way God works and his kingdom. My title is The Bizarre Business Practices of an Unorthodox King. Because he doesn't operate and his kingdom doesn't operate in the way that we would typically operate a kingdom or run a business 
or operate even a church. That God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He doesn't do things according to our wisdom or ideas. I think we have to be careful because we have a heart and a mind that's filled with selfish ambition and pride, but God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I think that we oftentimes want to climb a ladder that Jesus is climbing down. Because the Son of Man did did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus' way was to lower himself, to humble himself, to come down the ladder, and then to serve under people, not to lord over people like the Gentiles did. His way was not above, his way was below, and even in the Gospels it talks about one day as we sit around a great feast, the king will come and serve us. He's actually the waiter. The images of a God who actually, his very nature is humility and servanthood and love. And he lives, as Ian said, in these self-giving relationships where the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father because by nature God is filled with love for the other in perfect relationships and then has brought us in to be included in perfect self-giving and loving relationships that aren't focused on me but are focused on others. Isn't he amazing? And then what he does throughout history is he goes, oh, I'm going to show you that I use what the world would never use. I'm going to choose a polygamist to write a book about love. I'm going to use an adulterer and say that this is a man after my own heart. I'm going to take an elderly man who is fatherless and call him the father of many nations. I'm going to take a denier and build the church on him. Do you see what God does? He doesn't doesn't run a respectable kingdom the way that we would think. It's upside down. And for those of you that go, I don't know if I could be used by God. I'm too damaged goods. I've made too many mistakes. I'm a failure. I'm I'm broken. And God goes, that's exactly what I use. In fact, if you stand next to the guy going, thank God, I'm not like the broken guy, you cannot be used. You actually have to descend and get lost. And say, God... Be merciful to me. I'm a hot mess. And God goes, you're just my cup of tea. And then he takes what is broken and he does something you know, really unbelievable and shocking. And the world goes, these uneducated common men or women have been with Jesus. Nothing None of this makes sense. These are regular fishermen, broken people, prostitutes and tax collectors. Unbelievable. We've got a a few friends that, you know, the best way I could describe what we're doing locally is that pretty much none of the people that are part of what we're doing have come from a church background. Pretty much none of them. 
We've got a whole movement of people that were incredibly irreligious. I'd even say most of them were antagonistic toward faith, incredibly antagonistic toward faith. And now they're coming to me with these stories that are absolutely blowing my mind. But they're people that many of us would go, I don't know that God could use them. In fact, I remember when we first moved into our neighborhood and I looked around at my neighborhood and I had in my mind who I thought God was going to use us to reach and then who would become a part of our team and who would become our elders and who would expand our movement. Nah, none of those people became a part of what we're doing. They actually became the ones that criticized us and even persecuted us. But then as I look through the neighborhood and, and there's a woman who's like Melissa McCarthy, she's kind of like a wild party woman. We call her Aunt Cindy. He, she's crazy and screams and yells and hits on every guy that's in my house. And she's, she's just nuts. She's become Aunt Cindy. And then a guy down our middle street who is usually shirtless and he's got chains around his neck and he's smoking a cigarette and as I walk by, he yells and calls me the F word and gives me the middle finger as a term of endearment. (laughs) And he's become a really good friend. And then a guy who lives three houses up and works for the railroad and has this big old beard, I call him Railroad Jesus, has become a really good friend. His wife is a recluse and won't come out of the house and we help her get her kids on the bus. And all the people that we never would have imagined have become our core people and closest friends and people through which we're watching the kingdom break in. Isn't that wild? You look around and you go, nah, you know what? In my wisdom, I choose David's brothers every time. I don't have eyes to see the David's the foolish things of the world, the unlikely. And God repeatedly shows me that my wisdom is not very wise at all. And it's not how God works or thinks or operates. And we've got these people that are telling me stories and I'm talking to this guy, Fletcher. If you say, you know what, I don't know that I'm qualified enough or gifted enough that I could make disciples or make a difference where I'm at, or really see movement happen. I got to tell you that two of my greatest leaders, one of them is an autistic guy who is remarkable. He pulls people together and they play board games all day and they go to the Renaissance Fair and they've got this whole tribe of friends that come together and they eat and they laugh and they play. But every time I get together with him, he's, I'm, I'm asking him, tell me about the people that you're hanging with. And he says, well, we've got an Egyptian polygamist hipster and he brings one of his wives and then we've got a Wiccan and then we've got an atheist And then we've got two other people that are actually curious about Jesus and a few friends that really want to make disciples with us. And they're all coming together and we're eating ice cream and playing board games. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit, spirits, demons, and spirituality because these people are curious and open and we're watching some of them move toward Jesus. Now, most people would be like, I can't imagine a place where God could use these people, but he is. And it's remarkable. And then I look at another man who was driving his car and ended up having like a little breakdown and 
you know, as his car is sort of off to the side, he gets T-boned by a big truck, wakes up out of a coma, and he can't speak, and he can't walk, and when he tries to get out of bed, he falls onto the ground. He has to relearn how to walk, and as he relearns how to walk, he still doesn't know how to speak, and his speech is really difficult to understand so much so that his wife got tired of trying to understand him and left him. This man is making disciples and has formed a community and is watching God work and transform people's lives. I just want to paint the picture that, that the journey that we're talking about is for you. It is for each and every one of us. As Spurgeon said, and I love this quote, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. And I think it's a great, it's a great word. Matthew 20 says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out, about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. When the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you grumble against the landowner? If you got hired and, and you showed up at 8 o'clock in the morning ready to work all day long, Right? And you're told, I'm going to pay you 500 bucks for the day. And you go, all right, cool. That's a good, that's a good day. Working from 8 o'clock until 5, you're going to make 500 bucks on a day. That's good. I'm cool with that. But then let's say Ian here shows up at 11 o'clock. Right? And then, you know, let's, let's say, pick another person who's... who's John, let's say John shows up at 2 o'clock. All right, give me one more. Who else we got, Ian? Give me one more person. Uh, Brent? Brett. Now, Brett's the worst. He shows up at, he shows up at 4 o'clock, right? Now, at the, at the end of the day, here I am waiting to receive my wages because I work my tail off and I went all day long. And I knew and had agreed upon this amount that I was going to get at the end of the day. And when I get it, I'm going, cool. But then I find out that Ian got the same amount. I'm like, what? And then I find out that Brett gets the same amount. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is not cool. 
Do you feel me? Do you feel the, the frustration with this sort of a, of a story? It says, when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. You did not agree with me for the usual daily wage. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be the first and the first will be last. The kingdom is upside down. This is the same reason that the older brother gets outraged that the prodigal sins, throws away his life savings, his inheritance, lives with prostitutes, does drugs, disappears to Vegas, comes back, and his dad doesn't make him pay. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't out him. He actually gives him a party. Tell me the kingdom isn't upside down and unorthodox. Are you following with me here? The, the labor in the field is a guy who's going to get hit with labor infractions and lose his business. The shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one is an act of someone who's going to lose their sheep herding business. You get it? A gardener who's told not to pull the weeds, and that's no way to run a garden. And so Jesus is trying to take all of our ideas of how the world works and how the kingdom of this world works and disrupt them and flip them on their head. Because we're concerned with earning. We're concerned with power. We're concerned with control. We're concerned with ascending. We're concerned with selfish ambition. We're concerned with pride. And what God constantly over and over and over, what he does is he, he wants to disintegrate all of that. He wants us to get lost. He wants us to die. He wants us to lose. He wants us to be crucified with Christ, which is why every single time, and I referenced this yesterday, every single time people got into the morality conversation, Jesus is just like, I am bored with this. And, and what he did is people started to talk about morality. I have never committed adultery. Jesus is like, have you ever lusted? I've never killed anyone. You ever had hate toward another person? I want to be a good dad. You got to be the perfect dad. Every time people would talk about improvement, Jesus would talk about perfection. You feel me? You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Go and never sin again. You must be holy as I am holy. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus doing? He's obliterating us. And then he's going, I am your life. I am your hope. I am the way. 
I am the righteousness of God. You cannot attain it. You cannot earn it. You cannot work toward it. You cannot somehow acquire it. I am giving it to you as a gift. I am giving you the kingdom. Whether you came at nine o'clock or five o'clock, there's no way you could work your way into this situation. What I am going to do is I am going to give each and every one of you my love, my grace, my righteousness as a gift. And I am inviting you to accept your acceptance. Isn't that beautiful? And then we get to look out at the world through the lens of a gracious God who desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Who has come not to condemn the world, but to save it. Who so loves it and loves us. Which is absolutely beautiful. You know, We had a friend, part of one of our communities, who was outside of the Capitol building. We're in Harrisburg, and he saw this guy very outspoken, antagonistic toward Christianity. It turns out he was the PA state director for the American Atheist. And so he's saying all kinds of crazy stuff, mostly for shock factor, right? And our friend gets into a conversation with the guy and he says, I want you to, to know that the God that you're talking about, the scorekeeping, you know, God that you're describing is actually not what God is like at all. We have a God who has unplugged the scoreboard. We have a God who has remembered our sins no more, who has taken them as far as the East is to the West, who has come to forgive you and adopt you and bring you into relationship and around the table. We have a God that, that is for you. And he's, and he's describing all this, this man. And, and, and this guy starts talking to him about his ideas and his thoughts about God. And, and, and the guy that's talking to the atheist director says, a group of us are hanging out tonight over some chicken wings if you want to join us. And so that night I show up for this wing night and I'm sitting at a table and there's about 20 of us around this big table and the guy who invited the atheist director neglected to show up. Just describes our people, I guess. And so I see this man sitting there and he's got this shirt on and it looks kind of like a NASA symbol and it says... PA State Director, American Atheist Association. And I'm thinking, how'd this guy get here? And so I said, where'd you hear about this? And how'd you get here? And he said, oh, I was talking to this guy. And I'm like, where's he at? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, that's weird. Anyway, <laughs> he started right away wanting to argue about creation and evolution and stuff like that with us. He came like ready to fight on stuff and I just looked at him and I said, tell me your story. And so as we're sitting at the table, this guy starts unloading his story and his background and a little bit about what happened to him as a kid and his, his, he went through it and his 
Um, his mom was a single mom and she was trying to make ends meet and she was doing some things she shouldn't be doing for money to try to make ends meet and pay the bills. And he grew up in a home with addiction and his mom was oftentimes not home. No father, very, very difficult childhood. And there was a man from a church that took him under his wing. And this man from the church that took, took him under his wing became like a mentor to him. And he told him about Jesus. And, you know, this man then invited him on the road to travel with him. And as he's traveling with him, he watches this man faking miracles, staging it, right? And then he walks in on this man raping a Down syndrome child. And he has to testify against the man in court, okay? And so as he tells this story, I just start like tearing up. And I said, I am so sorry that that happened to you. I don't know if I would believe if I were you after seeing all that. I understand why you feel the way that you feel. And, and we all sat there and just loved this man. We didn't argue with him. We didn't give him theological sermon. We just listened to him and we cried with him and we loved him. And he looked at us and he said this. He said, you guys are the nicest group of Christians I've ever met. And then he said, and I thought it was weird, can I take my picture with you? Like, okay. So he took his picture with us and, and then we started, you know, texting back and forth and having conversations. And he was always trying to say things to kind of shock factor. So he'd tell me, hey, you know what, Mike, you know what I think you should do is you should buy a plot of land and grow a bunch of weed and use it to fund your church, right? Just like saying stuff like that. He's always like testing me, saying these kind of crazy things. And, you know, I'm talking to him one day and it's, it's like a Friday night. And my wife and I had just had a date night and I get home and I'm typically thinking about one thing at the end of a date night. I'm not thinking about other people. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my wife and how the date night's going to end. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> amen. But it, but it had to be the Holy Spirit because I just started thinking about him. And as I'm thinking about him, I go, I got to text this guy. And I text him and I said, how you doing, man? I was just thinking about you. It's like Friday night, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And he said, how did you know? I said, what do you mean? And he said, I'm in the hospital right now. I said, why? What happened? He said, I, I don't know. I like lost feeling in my fingers and I was dropping stuff and feeling off and I didn't know what was going on. And I said, oh man, I'll pray for you. And he's like, fine, you can pray to your mythical fairy God, whatever. That's cool. I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then, you know, that kind of conversation ended over text. Several days had passed. I'm actually not the best shepherd. So I forgot about him for several days. And then about five, six days later, I thought thought about him again. It was Holy Spirit brought him back into my mind. So I texted him again and said, how you doing? He said, actually, I, I had gone home and they were going to run some tests, but it got worse. And this time I dropped my kid and now I'm back at the hospital. I was holding my, my child, dropped my kid. And, and so it's gotten worse. I don't know what's going on. And so it was 4th, 4th of July. And I looked at one of my friends and my friend happened to be at the wing night, so he had met the guy. And I, I was telling him the story, and he said, we should go over to the hospital. 
And so we package up a bunch of barbecue and, you know, sides and all that kind of stuff. And we take the barbecue over to the hospital. And we get to the hospital, and this guy has like a notorious reputation for being an antagonistic atheist. So we get there, and the nurse at the front, you know, said, who, who are you going to see? And I, I told her the guy's name, and she said, well, who are you? And we said, we're his pastors. <laughs> and she's like, he doesn't have pastors? I'm like, yeah, he does. And so she said, okay, go on up. So we went up to his room, and, and we go in, and he's like, ah, oh, geez, here you guys are, right? We come in with barbecue and we sit down next to him in his bed and, and give him the barbecue. And he's like, man, thank you. I haven't had a good meal in a couple days. This is great. Thank you. And he's eating and we're talking to him. And he looks at us and he says this, no atheists have come to visit me. This is a state director. He said, you guys are the only people that have come to visit me. And then he said, I can't deny the love that you're showing me. And then we sat there on his bed and we watched the fireworks out the window of the Harrisburg Hospital. I think we are compelled, right? When we think about the love of Christ, we are compelled to love others. The best way I could describe my journey with this man for several of us is that we got swept up in love. I wasn't thinking about inviting him to a meeting. I wasn't thinking about my schedule. I was overtaken. God was bringing him to mind and I got lost in a story. Do you, are you following with me? I think oftentimes when we think about mission, we think about our schedule, our inconveniences, our time, our ability, our knowledge. And God is calling us to love him, enjoy him, understand his love, participate in this relationship with the one who is love and designed us to live in harmony with him. And then to get swept up in love for others and lost in a greater story. I met this guy August. I, was, I had a, a stupid moment where I agreed to coach soccer. And I'm, I'm coaching soccer, and this, this guy whose son played on my son's team, he and I ended up becoming friends. Well, this guy was an incredibly irreligious guy. In fact, when he found out that myself and this lady that was coaching with me who knew way more about soccer than me, crazy Brazilian soccer woman, just loves the game and knows the game way better than me. We were coaching together, but he found out that we knew each other because we were a part of the same church movement together. And the first thing he says to me is just, you know, I, I'm not into any of that Jesus. And he's, you know, drops some expletives. And I'm like, I don't care. That's cool. Like, I just want to be your friend. It's fine. We, we invited him to some of the barbecue and team stuff we were doing and we're hanging out and walking and kids are playing, kicking soccer balls and we're grilling food up and all that kind of stuff. So he ends up becoming a friend. And in the context of our friendship and hanging out with the guy, 
his wife ends up cheating on him, and his wife cheats on him with his sister. Okay? So it's like this crazy, and he felt betrayed by his sister, by his wife, and all that stuff's going on. And he's feeling an incredible amount of pain, and he ends up hanging out with me, meeting up a few times, having some drinks together, having some coffees together, and we're talking about his life situation and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Well, as he's hurting and going through all this stuff, he starts to show some cracks and maybe some curiosity here and there about Jesus. And he says this, well, there's this girl at work that's been talking to me about Jesus, and she's pretty hot, so I've been listening to her a little bit. And he said, she invited me to her church service, and I went because she's hot, but I didn't like anything that went on at the service, but I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus. So we sat there at a coffee shop, and we're talking about Jesus together, and I can see that his ears are perking up, and he's getting more and more interested in the stuff that I'm talking about. So it's a Sunday morning, several weeks later, and he sends me this message and he said, where are you guys meeting? Because we're kind of a decentralized movement and we'd meet in, you know, one of our pubs that somebody owned or cosmetology school or, you know, at the, at the college. We'd kind of rotate different locations where we're hanging out. So he said, where are you guys meeting to get today? I said, we're at the college. And he said, okay, I'm going to come over there. And so he shows up and the guy who's leading our music is a, is a pretty like, energetic and charismatic guy. And sometimes he just gets really lost in his energy. And so this guy comes and it's his first time there and he's not a religious person at all. I don't know if he's ever outside of with the hot girl, ever been in a church service. And so there he is and he comes in and he sits at a round table in the back of the conference center at the college and our guy who's, who's playing the keys is getting really into it, getting super energetic. And, and he'd do this thing where he, when he'd get really into it, his head would go back and he had this little flap of hair that would blow up and down. And, and he'd just, he'd, oh, yes, 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 right? And, and, then, and then he started quoting Song of Solomon. And he's going, the lover stands outside of the door and says, let me in, let me in, right? And he's doing this. And I'm, I'm sitting in the back going, God, please make it stop. Please make it stop. It's this guy's first time. I get that he's excited, but please make this guy stop, right? Because he's just all into it. And then, and then at the end of the day, after he had left and all that, I'm sitting on my couch and I see an email pop up with his name on it. And I'm going, oh no, he's going to talk about how weird the experience was for him. And that morning, when I had shared, I talked about this very thing that love compels us to go outside of our comfort zone, and we get swept up in a grander story, and, and we end up like losing our rationality because we, we want to care for people and love people, and we get stirred up and motivated to go places we would never go, to do things we would never do, to serve people in ways that we would never serve. And I'd shared all that kind of stuff that morning, and I see his name popping in the, up in the email, and he says this, you know, what you shared this morning inspired me. He said, so, you know, I met up after the service with the hot girl. We had lunch at a, at a Mexican restaurant, and right outside there was a man standing there. 
And he asked us for money, and I asked him what his story was. And he told me that he was a vet, and he was out of money, and he was trying to get back to Ohio to meet up with his family. And he said, I thought about what you said this morning, and I just felt something in me say that I needed to just help this guy. And so he said, I don't know what that was in me. I think we know what that was. The Holy Spirit was stirring him up and disrupting him. And so he said, I felt like I was supposed to do something. And so I ended up driving this man to Ohio. (laughs) I took him all the way to Ohio. And then I got him a hotel room. And then I... I I paid for several nights on the hotel room and then I got him some food, took him out to dinner, stayed there with him, reunited him with his family and came back. Wow, right? That's like, that's a good Samaritan. And he said, I just want to thank you for introducing me to this life that I experienced. I think our openness to look around and say, God is going to use the most unlikely people to display his kingdom in ways that we would never, ever comprehend. And when you sit and you say, you know what, Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do. Sometimes he takes you places that might seem wild and impossible. You're, you're sitting in a, in, a, in a room and as we're sharing, I remember sh- listening to some people in my living room because my living room was filled with people. None of them had come from a church background. It was a beautiful moment as I'm sitting in my living room, looking around. Every single person there had connected with us through the neighborhood or youth sports. None of them came from a church background. And as we're sitting there in the living room, one of the girls, as we're talking about how we've been hurt and what's happening in our life and what's happening in our journey, and we say, you know what? The way that you love God is the way that you love the person you love the least, which is something I said yesterday to the crew, right? Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So think about the person that you love the least. Think about the person that you're bitter toward. Think about the person that you hate. The way that you love them is the way that you love God. That's somebody made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? And the way that you love them is the way that you love the Father. You cannot say that you love God and that you don't love your brother. If you do, you're a liar. And as we're talking about this stuff and sitting, right, this is being an irritator. How about it? Being that pebble. Anyway, as we're talking about this, I can see someone in the room sort of disrupted. And I said, what's going on? What's your story? What are you dealing with? And she said, my husband left me to live a gay lifestyle. And... And she said, I just feel so bitter toward him. He's living this crazy life that he's living right now. And one of the girls in the room said, well, where is he right now? And she said, well, he's DJing at the gay bar right now, downtown. And she said, well, what do you think God wants you to do? And she said, I think that God wants me to love him and forgive him. And she said, I'll go with you. And they left 
my living room where we were talking about Jesus, grace, forgiveness, and kingdom, the two girls went down to the gay bar. They sat across from him and she said, I forgive you. And she left him a huge tip for the one drink they had. And she said, I, I want to figure out how to include you in the lives of our children. And then she came back and I thought, if this isn't a picture of grace and forgiveness and the heart of Jesus in an incredibly difficult situation, charged with emotion and pain and betrayal, what is? And God will call us to take steps that seem foolish and wild and bizarre. But those are the very steps that cause people to ask about the hope that lies within us. No one is going to ask about the hope that lies within you because you go to church on Sunday and tithe. But I'll tell you what, people will ask about the hope that lies within you when you show up and you forgive someone that has left your marriage, hurt your family, you leave them a big tip and you tell them you forgive them. Someone is going to ask about the hope that lies within you when you get them a job after they betrayed you. These are the types of stories that we're looking at that people are going, why would you do that? I watched a family in our, in our home that the, the husband had a medical situation where his heart exploded. He got airlifted to Philly. He almost died on the table. He had $10,000 in medical debt. And as he's talking about his debt, one other couple in the room said, we have $10,000 in our savings. Wrote a check on the spot for $10,000 to cover his medical debt. Now the other people in the room are going, why would you do that? Let me tell you about the hope that lies within me. When you've been touched by a radical God who throws parties for prodigals and calls sinners, the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead to his table, then you can't help but turn around and pour grace and love and compassion out to those that are around you. The one who's been forgiven much, what? Forgives much. The one who's been loved much, loves much. When we've been gifted with this, the unspeakable, unsearchable riches of the kingdom, we turn around and we're like, I just can't keep my mouth shut. Do you feel that way? I'm going to close with, I got like a third of the way through my notes, which is typical. But I'm going to close with a final story, which is something I just feel inspired right now to share. It's a story that I shared with Ian and Selena last night. A friend of mine was with his family out at Yellowstone. And they wanted to go on an adventure. And they said, you know what? Why? why don't we try to find a grizzly in the wild? He's like, I want my boys to see a grizzly in the wild. And so they're out at Yellowstone and they're, they're on this like quest to find the elusive grizzly. 
And wherever they went, they couldn't find it. And they'd ask other people, have you seen a grizzly? Oh, two days ago, I, I saw one at a distance. And they're telling the story, oh, wh- where was it? And they, they wanted to kind of track down the grizzly. But they, they always felt like they were just missing a grizzly. They went from place to place. And the week is kind of drawing to an end. And they felt like they might not get to see the grizzly. But as they drive about 40 minutes down the road, they see some people off to the side of the road. Some cars are parked. They, they see a person with binoculars. They see this kid like up on top of a car. And the kid's going like this, right? And you, you can see like this energy and, and enthusiasm from the family. And the people are all excited. And they get out and they're like, Maybe it's the grizzly. So they walk over and sure enough, there's a grizzly mom with her cubs. And people are starting to like tear up as they're watching it. They're captured by seeing a real grizzly and her cubs in the wild. And they're they're standing there just mesmerized by what they see. And people stand there for 40 minutes watching this grizzly mom and cubs just play with each other and walk around and get into stuff and then disappear off into some trees. And then they're all just like, wow, wasn't that amazing? That was so great. Do you believe that we saw this? And they're talking, then they felt kind of a bond with each other and there was something beautiful. And then after that, they got in their car and they drove. When they drove about another 30 minutes down the road, they see these signs for this exhibit. And the exhibit was the grizzly exhibit. So they go, well, we might as well. So they pulled in and they go into this building where a grizzly is like from me to Ian from them. And you know what they did? They, they grabbed their phones and they took a selfie with the grizzly And, you know, people looked at the grizzly for like two minutes, but within about two and a half minutes, they were bored and the kids ran off to this little, you know, playground off to the side. And, you know, the parents were talking to each other, not even paying attention to the grizzly that's right there behind the glass cage because they were uninspired by the grizzly. And I think in many ways, this is a picture of what so many people experience with faith. I'll show you Jesus. You can meet him between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. He's predictable. You know what's going to happen. He's behind this cage and behind this glass. He's not dangerous. He's not going to invite you to anything crazy, right? And you know what people are going to do? They're going to take a few selfies and they're going to lose interest. Because what they want is the Jesus of the wild. What they've been invited to is deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. What they've been invited into is an adventure that disrupts and transforms neighborhoods, communities, workplaces, and cities. That God's kingdom would come on earth, on this street, in this place, as it is in heaven. What I'm inviting you to is the same thing Jesus invited you to. Strap on your boots and follow me because to follow me means we're going to go somewhere. And this is the invitation to the wild, missional, adventurous, unorthodox, upside down, crazy journey of Jesus. And I think you want to be on that. Your heart leaps for that, doesn't it? 
you want that. And if you think you're not worthy or able or qualified or maybe I can't do it, I'm too messed up, I'm too sinful, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too poor, I'm too whatever, God goes, it's exactly who I want to use. We're just going to shock the pants off of everybody in this room when I use that guy or that girl. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your adventure. I know that your spirit that hovered over the waters. I know that your spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that fills and inspires and calls and equips each and every one of us is firing us up, is putting this energy and passion and desire and drive in our bellies that we want more. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see cities impacted. We want to see holy, beautiful, humble disruption. And so God, I pray that you would strip strip us of our pride, of our ego, of our desire to climb ladders and be important and stay safe and be secure and instead invite us to climb out of the boat. Invite us into adventure and danger. Invite us to follow your spirit. We love you so much and we thank you that you love us. We thank you, spirit, that you're at work in us. We thank you, dad, that you're for us. And because you're for us, who can be against us? Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.